0: we
1: to the LinkedIn Mastery breakdown of Seth Godin's This Is Marketing. So excited to bring this to you today. Been working hard here with Stacey Moore. She's built marketing departments. She's rebranded companies and overhauled training programs and past roles. She now serves as a marketing consultant and is a member of the LinkedIn Mastery. What you're in store for is this. So this is... Marketing is a culmination of a hundred day seminar. This is a hundred day seminar that Seth Godin puts on. He took a hundred days and broke it down into a book, which is 25 chapters. It took Seth Godin about eight hours to read through the audiobook of this is marketing. We put a lot of time and effort into this and we've broken this down into six different areas. Uh, and actually by doing this, what we've come up with is an understanding that we need to do a part two of this really to dig into more of the book. Um, but we have enough information here that you are going to have your mind blown. So stay tuned, right? (laughs) So we have six different sections, old versus new marketing, building something worth buying, finding Mm -hmm. your target audience, It's not your tribe marketing 411 uh, advertising and marketing today and what has changed and how we need to adapt Mm -hmm. Uh, building something worth buying. Marketing is change. If you take one thing away from here, write this down. Marketing is change, right? Write that down, determining who you seek to serve and the concept of people like us. Write that down. People like us. 10 things good stories do. All good stories. Find your target audience. We're going to talk about an XY grid to help you find your target audience. We're going to talk about the smallest viable market. The difference between adopters versus adapters. Elite versus exclusive. They're not the same. Domination versus affiliation. Wait till you get to this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not your tribe. What is a tribe? All right, we're going to define it for you the story of self, the story of us, and the story of right now. Marketing 411. What is the marketing promise? What promise are you making as you market to people? Mm-hmm. What are the marketing in five steps? You're going to get five steps to market effectively. Six things that marketers know and the stories that we tell ourselves.
0: Awesome. Let's do this. All right. And so we did touch on this a little bit in the commercial, as you saw, but marketing before 2000, you know, the radio and the TV was invented for advertising. That's what a lot of people maybe don't think. And now things have changed, as you can see. Gary V here, you know, marketing today, social media is, slain, is a slang term for the current state of the internet. I think that's a really great quote. Errol, you, you brought that uh, to this uh, slide here and it makes so much sense. So one of the things that Seth Godin talks about is he talks about a billion tiny whispers. Think of it like it used to be served up on a platter. It used to be car salesman, here's what you do and cabao, And then it turned into a thousand tiny whispers, a sea of sand. How do you get noticed? What does that look like? I think that's a really interesting concept.
1: Now I'd like to add a couple of things. I was thinking about these slides today and I think everybody Mm -hmm. that's probably present, Gary Vaynerchuk Mm -hmm. is uh, a figure for everybody. So here's the thing, we were all just with our families over the holidays and as I thought about this, I actually was sitting down with my family uh, here over the holidays and we were watching TV And so it brought back some memories. And I was thinking about how I used to watch TV with the family uh, on Friday nights. We all used to gather around the TV and and watch the Friday night lineup. If anybody Mm -hmm. was familiar with uh, Steve Urkel, you know, (laughs) Family Matters, I think was the name. But at any rate, we used to watch these shows. Everybody used to gather around. So the thing is that at that time, you know, the only real place to kind of communicate ideas for business, really, one of the main ones was the TV. So also probably while we're, you know, driving in the car, we'd hear the radio or maybe pick up a newspaper or a magazine. But it used to be that that's really where everybody had the attention and businesses could simply just buy ads, place them Mm -hmm. in the place where everybody was congregating, interrupt them and basically had our attention. The interesting thing though is how strange it really felt to be sitting and watching the TV. It didn't really seem sort of, uh, present day. It almost seemed a little bit surreal to be sitting and watching TV. So I, you know, taking a look at how things are now or some other sort of memories is that, you mm-hmm. know, being around 15, I you know, I remember getting a new computer and being so excited to share with a friend in a letter that I wrote to them telling them about <laughs> this computer that I got that had all of these applications and we could communicate in these different ways. And AOL had just come out. And uh, in this case, Uh, Later on, uh, Hot or Not was a thing, and then MySpace came out, and then this thing called Facebook, the social (laughs) network, right? So essentially, you know, we experienced the birth of the internet and these social networks. Mm -hmm. And in this case, that time yesterday, going to sit down with the family to watch TV, that's the first time in the entire year that that has actually happened. And so normally the way it works now is, you know, my eight-year-old son, he watches YouTube videos. He watches Mm -hmm. Netflix and Amazon Prime. He's choosing what he's watching. Uh, Mm -hmm. We watch Netflix and we watch Apple TV. We don't watch TV and Mm -hmm. we get news from search engines, Twitter and social media. So there's something significantly different with the birth of the Internet as a business owner to think about trying to grab the attention of those that you want to get in front of.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's really key. It's completely changed. And one of the things that we, we, you know, Errol, you mentioned earlier to write it down is people like us, right? And that's one of the things that's a key concept for this book that I think that uh, maybe top five, if people can go away with today that would be ideal because it's a total mind shift. People like us do things like this, right? So yep, did you absolutely. want to expound on that? I know you and I had talked, because we've, we've prepared so much for this, about the difference in people like us and what different brands and, and different flavors look like to people. So you, you and I talked a little bit about Target and Walmart.
1: Oh yeah, I mean look, think about it. So for everybody, if you were to choose to go to one place to do some shopping, right, and you had the choice of going to Target or Walmart, where would you go? You know, write that down. So literally, you need to go and buy some toys for your kid or you need to go and do something, right? And you have Target and you have Walmart, really almost in the same sh- same area, which one are you gonna go to? Right? Um mm-hmm. you know, and in this case, if you're gonna go and buy coffee in the morning. Right. And there's a Starbucks or there's a McDonald's across the street. McDonald's has a dollar coffee, but Starbucks across the street has a $5 coffee. Where are you going to go? Right. Mm-hmm. When you go to get your next phone, are you going to buy perhaps an Apple iPhone? Or are you going to buy mm-hmm. an Android? And so I think that yeah, that's when we were thinking really of how to illustrate more of what the difference is between you know one brand and the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that there's some illustrations that are there.
0: Exactly, and and we'll get into this a little bit later um, and more in depth. But when you're thinking about brands that maybe you love, as someone that's that's watching this webinar, think about you know extremes and values and what type of alignment might you see when you're talking about. Um, let's say Apple or Starbucks or Target. Let's say you shop there. What are some things and some values that you might share in alignment with that brand? And that's all you know. Some of the best brands in the world. That's engineered. That's something that they have created a connection with you and on an empathetic empathetic level, so that you will buy because you are like them. You are like us. So just think through that because it's usually an extreme value. It's usually something uh, lower prices, high quality. It's all those extremes. And we'll talk about that more on the graph later on as we go about 10 things good stories do. I think that's a good lead in there.
1: Yeah, so 10 things a stories do and to kind of link the last concept of people like us and the story concepts. So I think we can spend actually a lot of time digging into what constructs a story. I saw Aquaman yesterday and I have (laughs) to say, that Aquaman did something phenomenal at the very beginning of the movie that just like, just really gets you sucked in and almost, it would definitely jerk a tear or pull something from your heart. And there's a reason that that did it. And for example, this uh, new remake of Superman uh, or Batman versus Superman didn't. Uh, Essentially the connection of the story and the audience watching the story and really saying you know, can I relate? Is this somebody like me? Can I get into that story? Mm -hmm. Are they, are they sharing something that I can relate to and I'm compelled to watch or is it just noise? Right? Mm -hmm. And so taking a look here at what good stories do, Mm -hmm. one, they connect us to our purpose and vision. So think about it. If you're really general in the market that you want to serve, What kind of purpose or vision are you aligning with and what type of purpose or vision from other people that are looking to buy. What are they connecting with you just the fact that you sell a product and maybe it's cheaper than something else. You have to attach meaning like there's a there's a there's a meaning behind Starbucks versus McDonald's right Mm -hmm. and so purpose and vision number two. Allow us to celebrate our strengths and remembering how we got from there to here. The the hero's journey, right? Somebody coming and saying, I was there, now I'm here and I can show you how to get there. Somebody joins the same mission, right? And they get that same feeling. Deepen, number three, deepen our understanding of our unique value and what differentiates us in the marketplace. So that's really saying for the, the the market you look to serve, the person you're looking to serve and help facilitate change with, essentially by them interacting and buying your service, what they're doing essentially is they're deepening their understanding and their affiliation with that mission. And by participating with you, it's deepening their understanding really even of themselves. Um, number four, reinforce our core values. So by buying and interacting with what you what you're selling or what your what service it is that it's also reinforcing. That person that's going to Starbucks, right they have certain values that are reinforced by going and sitting in Starbucks and doing what they do versus going to sit and do the same thing in McDonald's. It doesn't really reinforce those core values that are being reinforced by what Starbucks has built with that experience. Mm-hmm. It's not just coffee, right? Help, okay. Help us to act in alignment and make value-based actions. Number six, encourage. Encourage us to respond to customers instead of responding to the marketplace. Seven, attract. Attract customers who want to support businesses that support or reflect their values. Uh, build, and builds brand loyalty and gives customers a story to tell. We're gonna go over An incredible example of a uh, of an enterprise we'll say that really built everything off of giving their clients or their customers or the people that they serve a story to tell Um, that's going to spread your message so much more than some type of slick advertisement nobody's really going to talk about it they're not going to go and tell other people you have to go and see Aquaman Mm -hmm. just because of the advertising right so number nine attain the kind of employees that you want. And number ten, help us stay motivated and continue to do work we are proud of.
0: Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you know this this leads up to so perfectly is, you know, marketers. We we make change, right? We are. It, it's our job to to in today's market um, be empathetic enough to understand what changes needed to be made. And how do we make that change happen? And that's where tension comes into play. So the cool thing about that list of 10 um, is it, once you kind of understand that and the different things that you can do to create tension, you can create change. So that's the, that's the key there is that it's, it's all about the change you want to make and the change you want to see in the world. And if you can change your mindset, if you are a marketer or someone that's an entrepreneur Um, that's wanting to become, uh, you know, someone that really gets in there this year and makes a big impact, think of it as you are now a change agent. Marketers are people that make change happen. So this is a a quote that we pulled out. Marketers make change. We change people from one emotional state to another. We take people on a journey. We help them become the person they've dreamed of becoming a little bit at a time. So I think that's so powerful. I love it. I love it because it, it, it helps you understand a little bit more, I think about your role, as you put your marketing hat on. You're a change agent. And you do that by creating tension.
1: Yeah, I think one one good point here too is that you're not marketing if you're not making change. So yeah. Just because you understand this, if you're not facilitating the change, so the change is somebody changing their behavior to move towards something else, it's not just enough to know this. You have to be able to create the tension mm-hmm. within somebody that they feel compelled that they have to make a change. And mm-hmm. think about it, can you really do that with just providing your product? No, you have to tap into something deeper.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you have to create the tension and you have to figure out how to relieve that tension too. You can't just amp people up all the time. And that's where those those 10 uh, ideas for, you know, how to tell a story and what, what you understand about your market is so important. Because you can put tension, if you understand how to be a a craftsman here, you can put tension on a certain thing that you feel like empathetically, my market is going to think about this this way because people like us think this way. How can I put tension on this item so that they feel like there's a call to action here that they cannot resist? And then once once they go forward, And go down that road how do you relieve that to let them feel at ease that they have arrived so that's just so powerful you ready to go into affiliation versus domination
1: let's do this
0: (laughs) all right let's talk about Tom Hanks first so one of the key things that they talk about in this book that is so so amazing and I think if you've read it maybe you agree with me but Seth Godin talks about affiliation versus domination and that that's about status and how do you gain uh, Status in in tribe settings, you know, we have a lot of communities. We have community here Um, So he, he does it basically he says there are two figures and think about it like Tom Hanks versus Don Corleone So Tom Hanks is affiliation. He's the guy that is How can we get there together? What does this look like for us? How do we make it happen? He comes alongside you, he gives you that hug, and you're like, ah, oh, we can do this. You know, and Don Corleone is like, I'm gonna kill you if you don't do this. How do I gain status? How do I keep my, keep my place of power over you all the time? And what was really neat is, if you really kind of gain an understanding of, it's, it's always an affiliation or domination Uh, mindset that you can keep, especially when you're talking about branding and positioning. Um, It's so amazing because I've been thinking about different companies I've worked with and worked for in the past. And, you know, you look at that and you think, wow, brands come up with a brand persona, a brand personality, and they always tend to... um, kind of uh, veer towards those things that they set up in the beginning of their company as, you know, their core values and things like that. And so what you can do is you can look at some of these companies that you might love and think, okay, what are some of their core values? What is their status position? Do they think in a way of affiliation or do they think of in a way of domination? So one of the things that he um, talks about in the book is Uber. When Uber came on the scene, um, they were obviously, you know, very, uh, they were going after it. They were taking on anybody they could, um, lawsuits, things like that. And uh, so it, it kind of goes back to um, how you want to sell yourself and your brand and what does that personality look like? So certain uh, companies I've worked with in, in the past, I've thought, man, you know, those guys are rough. Like they play rough. One of them has a, a saying that says, go eat out of another dog's bowl. And that's definitely that domination kind of mentality. So you can think about that with who you choose to work with, but then also think about it from how you're marketing. What are you marketing to and how are you attracting people? Are you attracting that person that would be a dominant personality? Or do you want to attract those people that are affiliate minded? There's people that want to come alongside you and help you out and help you get where you want to go. So it's really cool
1: yeah definitely you know i think the only thing i would really kind of add there is to think about like again look at tom hanks right so like (laughs) so the thing is what is it that you if you had a product or service and you're trying to get the buy-in from tom hanks like what what could you say or what would you say to tom hanks right that would create tension what would he not want to lose right mm-hmm. what would he right. be scared about losing like it's not the same thing as don corleone right mm-hmm. like you could definitely put something straight to the to the don and almost basically challenge like if you don't do this you're going to lose status yeah. Or you, you know you don't want to lose this opportunity because of this reason like it mm-hmm. would be completely different of what you would do and say like if you had something completely altruistic Mm-hmm. That really had Tom Hanks had an opportunity to show how much he cared and how much he could help. Uh, really, he would probably be interested in, in helping if there was, and it would probably be different for Don Corleone. So maybe just think about what would create tension for the Don mm-hmm. versus what would create tension for Tom? What would, he, what would they, each one of them be scared of losing? And you mm-hmm. couldn't present the same opportunity to both of them in the same way because it just wouldn't create tension for both. Part of this uh, too, if you think of this, uh, the smallest viable market. So I can't begin to say how many business owners, entrepreneurs, how many people are just thinking about starting to brand and are just so scared to niche down, like Mm -hmm. niche down to the T. So they're so scared that they're gonna give up so much opportunity because they say, I helped this XYZ person with this thing, right? Because Mm -hmm. they can help with everything. Look, I'm a financial advisor. I can help anybody, but you know, that's not my target. If you look to help everybody, you help no one. And a lot of this storytelling and narrative has so much to do with it. Um, And so we have a couple of examples here. If you look uh, here on one side, you're gonna see Morrissey. Okay, some of you may be familiar with Morrissey, others not. Anybody that's in the music industry knows Morrissey, all right? He's been an influential figure, but he's not pop, and he's just not – he has not approached his business and his his fan base in the same way that a lot of people that are all over the place have, but they also have not been as influential. The Grateful Mm -hmm. Dead. The Grateful Dead have pretty much almost – like they are – very often dismissed as pretty much just a hippie band, right? Mm-hmm. They had one they had one Billboard top forty. Right. Mm-hmm. So here's more the story of these two these two people these two groups, these two enterprises that niched down like no other. Okay. Mm-hmm. Morrissey is an artist. He's shunned pop and the media. He actually has he actually has a uh, a song that uh says hang the DJ, all right? That's the <laughs> That's the, the lifeblood of music distribution, right? Okay. Uh, so he's catered his music to the unpopular, right? Almost to an unpopular uh, segment, a vulnerable segment within really the entire world and catered his music to those individuals. Um, mm-hmm. Now, in his career from 1988 to 2018, in his solo career, he sold three three point four. 3,487,000 copies of his records. Uh, in 1991, okay, he sold out the 18,000 seat forum in LA in 15 minutes. It's wow. faster, faster than Michael Jackson or Madonna. That's awesome. Okay, but clearly, Michael Jackson and Madonna, right, they're different artists. And they mm-hmm. have a different uh, recognizability. But again, this person that niched his business down faster. Than those, than those individuals. So, uh, if you look at Wikipedia, Wikipedia states that Morrissey has a global fan following unrivaled in its devotion to the singer, characterizing him as, or characterizing this devotion as the kind of devotion that only dead stars command normally. Wow. So think about that, really. How oh. does somebody that niches down actually get to that point? He's actually, his fame is to such a point, he actually has a day in Los Angeles, that's dedicated to Morrissey, it's called Morrissey Day. <laughs> not making this up, right? So, all right, now, one upping that, now this is the thing, so this is a, a living icon of the music industry that's niched down, and if you, this is just those sales of three, three 3.4 million, those are just the record sales. This is not even talking about the uh, the venues and the live concerts. And those, it's it's really something else. So if we take a look at uh, the other side of this too, of the smallest viable uh, market, the Grateful Dead. So the mm-hmm. Grateful Dead is uh, it's in the, almost even a must, much more phenomenal uh, example of the smallest viable uh, market. So they only had one total top 40 billboard hit, Again, they're easily dismissed as some hippie band with hippie followers. They gross $350 million in revenue while Jerry Garcia was alive. Again, let me repeat that. This, this hippie band, $350 million in revenue. Mm-hmm. Morrissey, who's a living icon, right? That again, what was it? So Morrissey has a devotion that is the kind of devotion that only dead stars command. Normally he only did 3,487. The grateful dead did $350 million and they did a hundred million dollars in revenue since Jerry Garcia's death. That's $450 million from a hippie band, right? That's just in the concert sales. Yeah. That's, that's not even talking about the, the record album sales. So some of the takeaways from here about niching down and how you could become so galvanizing, right to, uh, to segments is that you have true fans, you create true fan fans that show up wherever you go that are buying, whatever it is you have to sell before you even have it out because you've built so much with them. Mm-hmm. Okay. They, your true fans, which you want to create will search you out and they're never satisfied. They're never, their need is never satisfied of being connected. So to associate yourself in a branded way with that niche, that niche market, you're digging in something more than music. You're digging into the identity of those individuals that you're contributing to. You are part of their story. You're helping their story. You're creating change in their life. And then that's how you do things like this. Mm -hmm. So, and again, think about it, the hippie band looking at the hippie uh, music, right? People like us, Mm-hmm. people like us, they relate. So again, uh, kind of rounding this out, essentially what these individuals have done is they've been able to appeal to a relatively tiny audience, okay? We could talk also again about Starbucks and how they've focused, but mm-hmm. they're focusing all of their attention on their niched audience, okay? Yeah. And again, not using any of the mass-produced distribution networks to get everything out. It's the fans. It's the fans that go out and tell tell all the other fans to go out to go to see Morrissey concerts. It's all the fans that went out to say they went to travel and spend weekends to follow the Grateful Dead, who only had one top 40 billboard hit. Think about that.
0: And, you know, when we talk about smallest viable market, one of the things Seth Godin does say, too, is about... This is not for you versus this is for you, right? Isn't that kind of the same kind of mentality? Whereas you have a small market, and let's say the Grateful Dead, one of the things they actually encouraged long ago was people to record their shows, to share their shows, which was opposite of what you know mainstream was doing at the time. And so thinking about um, how you can make this, you know, like he talks about a tribe mentality. Um, versus, you know, this doesn't have to be for everyone. It can, you, And the best thing he says you can say is this is not for you. And that's okay. I think that's amazing. It's just Absolutely. a whole new way of doing things.
1: Absolutely.
0: So the difference in elite versus exclusive, and I know, Errol, you had a post about this a while back, and I think a few people may have um, joined in on, on the discussion. I'd love to know if, That makes sense to everyone. So elite can be taken away. It's a status that um, you can have and you can actually use tension with that. Um, Exclusive is insiders versus outsiders basically. Um, And so uh, another key term, adopters versus adapters, we wanted to touch on that because that is always important when you're talking about something new, a new product or a new service you're coming across, or if you're uh, just a startup and you're looking to figure out, how do I get my viable market? What does that look like? Well, an adopter is actually someone that will go first. They're usually someone that will, um, they'll jump on board and they're okay with things being a little messy. Um, they are a pioneer in spirit and so they, they actually pride themselves on that. Uh, adapters are, you know, the second generation, the people that you may know that still wish they had a flip phone might be the adapters. And those are the second, the second, and they're actually the mass. So the adopters are the few and the far between and the people that will build your tribe for you. And the adapters are the ones that are the mass uh, consumption. They're the ones that you see at the Apple store now at the day after Christmas. You have 200 people in line at the Apple store uh, after the day after Christmas now because there's a ton of adapters that have come on the market. Um, But if you had done that, I don't know, let's say 10 years ago, um, you may have seen a totally different crowd at Apple, uh, the day a phone came out. So um, it's interesting to me, I'd like to know how many of you had a, had a flip phone, still wish you had a flip phone? And how many of you um, are onto the newest technology? How many of you uh, have the newest phone? Maybe you're into the Google Pixel, uh, but you used to love the iPhone. So that would tell me that uh, those of you that have changed phones rapidly, that are always into the new technology, you're probably those adopters and those people that are really well sought after when you're starting a brand, starting a product, you want to have adopters in your corner because they're actually the ones that'll test it for you. They'll break it for you. And adapters are the ones that if you mess up, they're not very happy about it. Uh, they want They want to come into the product, into the service after it's already been tested. So you want to add anything there?
1: No, i think you you really covered it uh you know pretty well there so these adopters and adapters elite versus exclusive again same thing affiliation versus domination Mm -hmm. what do you need to say that's really going to trigger tension within an adopter versus an adapter Mm -hmm. so think think about those and it's not about you and your product and why you're selling It's really what is going through the mind of those individuals, what is their worldview, which we will get into. uh, And I hope you have your pieces of paper ready. (laughs) I hope you're ready, let's do this.
0: This is why we're here, okay? So one of the big concepts of the book is the XY grid. What you're gonna do is you're gonna pick attributes um, that are going to be extremes. So two extremes for the X, two extremes for the Y, so let's take, for example, lower pri- low price, maybe I would put that on the far right of the X grid. I would say low price. And then on the far left, I may put, I don't know, high quality, right? And then um, bottom, of the, bottom of the Y, I may put um, well-made. And then top of the Y, I may put um, easy to use. Right, And so what you're going to do is you're going to go into these different quadrants and you're going to um, solve for those things. So let's say, let's back out of it for a second. Let's say you have a a product of some sort you're trying to sell. Um, Let's say it's toilet paper. Let's pick toilet paper. You're trying to sell toilet paper. So if you are trying to go lower price, higher quality, um, well-made, you know, think about a different brand, what brand would kind of fit on that scale and where would they go? If it was me and I was just going to map out just an an example, I may I may say that Charmin might be on the far left of the X and then um, well made, they may be kind of in this quadrant of the Y, right? So it really helps you, especially if you're a visual person, let's, let's say you have a, a solve, a problem that you need to solve as far as Uh, One of the examples he gives in the book is um, diamonds. It's like a diamond broker that needs to get their product from, um, you know, one part of town to the other. And he goes through uh, a lot of examples on that about how, you know, you can get diamonds quickly if if quickly is one of your accesses, right? If quickly is over here, um, you can get diamonds quickly to, the other side of the, of the road uh, or the city by bike messenger. You can get it to the other side uh, of the city by post office, but you may not be able to get it there if your X and Y, if your Y grid is something like, um, you know, safety is one of your key concerns. So when you start out and you can experiment with the X and Y grid, when you're talking about things that you're trying to sell, so if you have a certain product or a service and you are thinking hey i want customers that value this and here's an extreme versus what they value here and and just do that for a while and i think it'll really help you get a visual on where you might land and where your products and services might land and what the empath empathetic nature that you can display um as you start to really think this through and unpack this is really powerful and it go- he goes into this in in a couple of different dynamics he goes into it uh, on behavior patterns. He goes into it on um, different you know, things that you can, uh, as far as variety uh, in your products and services. So we can unpack that a little bit later, but do you think that's a pretty good explanation of what that entails?
1: I think it was phenomenal later on. You know, I'll I'll share one thing on that. So think about it again. If you try to serve everybody, you serve no one, right? The reason why is that you're too general, right? So there's nothing for people to identify with you, right? So the only thing you're competing on is price. That's the only thing. It's a commodity. It's just, there's no difference between you and anybody else. But when you work in extremes, right? People, other people live in those extremes. So if you can say basically these specific things that are at the extremes that identifies with people with the extremes they live in, then -hmm. you can create the tension because you Mm -hmm. know what those extremes are, but you need to know and think in terms of those extremes, not just, I have a great product and I want to sell and I want to make money. No, what are the extremes of the thought that your ideal client goes through? What do you need to do that's going to resonate and have them be like, oh, I got to go and buy from you.
0: Mhm. Yeah. It's so awesome. All right. And you want you know one of the things that uh, that we talked about a little bit earlier and we touched on but we didn't go into it really uh, in depth, we were going to talk about tribe. And I know that you've been building a tribe here on LME, LinkedIn Mastery. So can you go into that a little bit more about his take on tribe and what that means?
1: Yeah, so If we take a look at the tribe, uh, I have a couple of uh, things here to kind of go through. So really with the tribe, um, this is really talking about the story of the self, the story of us, and the story of now. Mm -hmm. Think about, again, the affiliation. Again, um, when you're thinking of the tribe, the tribe exists without you there, Mm -hmm. right? what you're doing as somebody who's trying to organize the tribe is you're pulling people in but they have associations and affiliations they have a narrative they have a story that's already going on but you're coming up really almost as a leader to basically reiterate the story and and you're kind of letting them know look i'm part of you you know this is an area that you need to congregate or that we can help you with so essentially it's a story of self the tribe is it's an ongoing story of the individual narrative that is uh, affiliated with all of these people that fit within this particular tribe. It's a story of us. It's a story of, of right now. Um, so again, the tribe is already there. You can help facilitate a tribe, but you don't own it. You mm-hmm. never own the tribe. It's not nothing that you own. You can help to facilitate, nurture, grow, pull more people together. But all you're doing again is you're helping to facilitate the, um, the growth of that tribe and the increased connection of the tribe continuing to add value helping those within the tribe to become better mm-hmm. um, you need to show up regularly with the tribe consistently and generously continuing to always give within the tribe because a tribe thrives on association and mm-hmm. those that are going to give and are, are willing to contribute and are consistently there. They're consistently affiliated with that tribe. And if you've consistently added value generously, you're going to be positioned in different ways within the tribe. And essentially the tribe, you're going to be thinking too in terms of the the permission that mm-hmm. you're receiving the permission to continue to associate with the tribe and the enrollment to teach right? So you need to kind of step up to a tribe to be able to present and affiliate with them and show that you have something to give and a willingness to teach. As you build with that tribe, they're going to give you permission to teach more. And so the goal with the tribe again is to find that affiliation, find ways to help, find ways to give. To do that, clearly you can't just have a generalized product. You've got to know what is the tribe associated with this product or this service who is it that I can work to serve because it's not just selling the product oh, yeah. it's not about the product it's about the affiliation with the tribe growing of the tribe mm-hmm. okay so the biggest question write this down write this down I'm serious will they miss you when you are gone mm-hmm. if one person will miss you when you are gone in that tribe you know you're onto something. Mm-hmm. So if you facilitate change in the life of somebody, okay, you got to think about what that means to them in their life and what that means. If you are the one facilitating that change, you have positioned yourself in a unique way that it transcends products and sales. And that is essentially what is at the heart of the tribe, which again thrives on affiliation, not on domination, although some tribes, truthfully, will thrive yeah. more on domination. Um,
0: exactly. exactly. That's great. I think that, that really sums it up. And it, it also um, speaks to a little bit of a market test, too, right? When you're, when you're trying something out in the market, especially if we're talking about an entrepreneur, a small company, you're out there trying to see what works and what doesn't. You've done your XY grid. You're trying to figure this out. You go out there and you test, and if people ask, hey, what was that thing you were talking about? I want to know more about that. Or they'll ping you back on social media after you talk about something. I think that really is a good testament of what you're talking about, about they'll miss you when you're gone. You know, if you start talking about something for for a long time and then you stop, are they going to say something?
1: Yes. And... I, I, I'll add this I, I think I have a, a really good example that will kind of pull a lot of this together and lead into our our next uh, point uh, imagine for a moment imagine that you want to do shoe shining so mm-hmm. you have a shoe shine business that you're you're gonna take on and you live in a big city okay so that's yeah. that's what you do so think about that so you're gonna go and you're gonna find a location downtown and you're going to go and choose a location downtown. Uh, now you can go and choose any place in the city to offer to shine shoes and you mm-hmm. can offer it for anybody there. Right. Mm-hmm. But here's the problem. If anyone can shine shoes the way that you shine shoes, mm-hmm. then the comp- competitor down the street will take half of your business. Yeah. No one needs their shoes shined. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a want and not a need. Now yeah. think about your own business. Is it a want or is it a need? And can can the competitor down the street come and take half your business that easy? Exactly. So the thing is, if you look at this, that shoe shine and how it might be differentiated is, mm-hmm. perhaps somebody come in to get their shoes shined, perhaps the customer wants to look good like his father did. Mm-hmm. Perhaps that was a thing, he always saw his father's shoe shine, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe he wants to look good like his father. It makes him feel confident, more likely to contribute, Mm -hmm. to feel empowered. Perhaps for someone to go and get their shoes shined, they like the status of someone waiting on them. Mm -hmm. So once a week, they get to go and sit on a throne with a well-dressed, respectful craft person putting effort into his appearance. Mm -hmm. Perhaps there's a signifier by going to this specific shoe shop in this particular part of town from this specific craft person that they wouldn't even bother to go to except that this is something that people like them are Mm -hmm. supposed to do to get their shoe shine in this particular part of town by this particular craft person. And maybe that's why. Mm -hmm. So taking a look at this, any of these one stories here any of them are available to the craft person as soon as they decide to make a difference within the lives of the people that they want to shine shoes for and not just shine shoes any of those stories absolutely and a core part of this is empathy so having empathy be the heart of marketing essentially people they don't believe what you believe you have to understand this they don't know what you know okay they don't they don't want exactly what you want everyone has an eternal life that's as rich and contributes uh, and and it's as rich and conflicted as, as yours so they have noise in their head yeah okay they have rights and they think they've suffered affronts to their rights by others okay they're afraid And they also realize that they're lucky. Mm -hmm. Okay. Everyone has an impulse to make things better, to connect, to contribute, to, to, to want something that they can't possibly have. Everyone is lonely, insecure, and afraid, and they all care about something. Yeah. So knowing that what you have to do as a marketer is that you need to understand where people are coming from and, Look at essentially working with them, dancing with them within the mindset that they have mm-hmm. and structuring your entire experience that that person has around that narrative that they have. Exactly. And that's marketing.
0: That leads right into our next topic about <laughs> the marketing promise, right? So... um one of the things that really I think it it impacted me and it really seemed to impact Errol as well on um, is the marketing promise you know and it it basically boils down to three things and I think this would be if you are uh, a person that that's a note taker I definitely would write these three downs three things down so marketing promise is my product is for people who believe blank my product is for people who believe blank, and then I will focus on people who believe like and then uh, the third thing of this is I promise that engaging with what I make will help you get like as a marketer as someone you know even if you're you're an entrepreneur you're a marketer right um, you've got to be willing to take chances to be creative to understand that disruption is um, is key today especially in this economy uh, and everyone, you know, you can't serve everyone. We talked about that earlier too. saying I made this for you and saying this is not for you are actually the most empathetic, most wonderful things that you can do. And he talks about in the book uh, having, you know, your competitor, um, their, their information even so that you can give it to someone that is not. Um, your best fit is actually a wonderful thing and when you get so targeted on who you're there to serve it's going to make an impact Uh, it's going to build that tribe that we talked about it's going to make that community that you need to survive and it's going to make your life better because you're not going to be focusing on clients and trying to please everyone Uh, you're going to be focusing and committed and trying to build up and teach uh, those that you serve um And, you know, he talks about change is best made with intent. You want to make sure that you're changing based on those triggers, based on, Uh, those 10 things we talked about in the beginning, the story, the tension, you want to make sure that you're doing it intentionally. That's what good marketers do. They know what triggers their audience and they know how to push that button. And they also know when to relieve that tension. So in storytelling, you know, all human beings tell themselves stories. We all, um, have, um, hopes and desires and dreams. And when you can get to that empathetic place, where you are a storyteller and you're bringing someone along on a journey, that is the most impactful marketing you can do. And, uh, you know, stereotypes. We group people into stereotypes uh, with similar stories and decisions that they would make based on those stories. But we also know that everyone is an individual and what works for one person may not work for another. It may actually turn people off. That's where market research and testing is really important. He goes into a lot about um, different people and you can go into the XY graph, actually, the grid. You can do that for personality types and affiliation versus domination and that's an also also a really powerful exercise to do because some people may have um, a real heart for helping others. Um, But they may need to be in that dominant place. They may need to be seen. So you might market to them completely differently than someone that is a servant leader who never wants to be in public. So there's a whole lot of other things you can do with with the stereotypes and the XY grid that way. Um, And then perception is the last one here. Um, You know, what you say isn't nearly as important as what others say about you. We're in a testimonial society, not only a knowledge society, but a testimonial society. So you can say what you, um, you know and what you can do all day long, but when other people join around you, when that tribe is strong and people say, yeah, I know, I know, Errol, he did this for me. He helped me with this. He gave me this value. You know, all of those things, that is what's going to get you tribe. That is what's going to get you traction. That's what's going to get you clients. It's all about perception. So I think that that sums it up. Did you want to share any any more about these six things marketers know?
1: You know, I think you did a great job with that. It's, um, you know, I come from a a really just a very focused sales background and, you know, sales and conversations, you deal with a lot of these types of things too, but Mm -hmm. marketing really takes it to another point. And a lot of people that are just stepping into business and putting on a hat as an entrepreneur uh, Mm -hmm. need to be taking into account so much more. Uh, and this uh, this marketing piece, it really goes over, you know, a significant amount of different, uh, I guess, pieces of that puzzle yeah, that are really important.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, one of the amazing concepts also that we wanted to, to make sure that we just showed you a little bit of a visual here. He talks about in the book, your work is a tree. You know, and I'll just read this out loud. You know, your work is a tree. The roots live in the soil of dreams and desires of those you seek to serve. Roots run deep uh, if your ideas are important enough. As your tree grows, it becomes a beacon. If you've planned well, you begin to attract attention. And because there are few other trees in your area, it grows well and it will grow tall. And then, you know, he says, don't show up with an acorn and expect a crowd. When he's talking about your tree, your work is a long-standing legacy to who you are and what you do as a marketer, and you know your ideas are gonna are gonna grow and sprout, and other people are gonna be attracted by that. You're gonna grow your tribe if your products and services give value to the market, and that you actually serve people, and it's just gonna over time it's gonna be a long-standing testament of what you can provide. So don't be. Uh, he just talks about don't be concerned about how long it takes it may take a while you know don't show up with that acorn and expect to get something the next day you've talked about bamboo right you have talked about how long it
1: takes. yeah absolutely I mean I I really love I really love that story of the bamboo tree and the bamboo tree uh, for those of you that are not familiar the bamboo tree it takes something unique to grow the bamboo tree Mm -hmm. you have to water bamboo, the, the seed for the bamboo tree for five years. It's crazy. If, if you stop and miss one day of watering, it dies. And in five years, what happens, though, is that the bamboo tree starts to grow. And in five weeks, it grows 60 feet tall. And then the question is, did it grow 60 feet tall and Five days, or in five years, mm-hmm. and so that is the story of the bamboo tree. <laughs> and I, yeah, I have to add here. So what's just burning in my mind to t- to share here, to kind of driver's attention to again, is the soil of dreams and desires of those you seek to serve. Mm-hmm. I think what's resonated really so significantly with me in this work is this concept of seeking to serve. It's such a different concept than selling or exchanging money. Mm -hmm. You're really looking for people to serve at a higher level. And so when you seek to serve people, you are facilitating change, but the only way you can really seek to serve them is to have the empathy to understand what narratives are going through their mind, what their dreams and what their desires are, because that's where you can take root. But you can only really understand that if you are seeking to serve them mm-hmm. and to have the empathy for where they're coming from and to present what you have and tailor what you have, what your the experience you're providing is tailored to help them to realize their dreams and their desires, not our desire to make money and prosper. That's all just a side effect of helping people realize their dreams and their desires at a deeper level. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Mastery, where entrepreneurs go to network and learn how to attract their ideal clients via LinkedIn and broker powerful connections worldwide. Be sure to visit us at LinkedIn Mastery on Facebook. Be sure to replace the Y with three E's and join us at LinkedIn Mastery.